I came across a podcast recently. It's called Scam Goddess. Uh, it's hosted by this comedian. Her name's uh, Lacey Mosley. She's hilarious. And uh, this whole podcast, she is uh, critiquing some of the great cons throughout all of history. And she does it in a way that she elevates scam to this art form. And she says that scams are different than crimes because on all sides of the scams, often people on all sides of the scam often look back on the stories of the scam with fondness. All parties laugh. They see the weird and the funny and the quirky in these scams. And one of the scams uh, that she goes through uh, happens in a bakery in Corsicana, Texas. Anybody ever been to Corsicana? Anybody ever been? It's between Waco, you know, the silos, between Waco and, uh, and, and Dallas. It's a little bitty town, and, uh, and this bakery isn't just any bakery. It's Collins Street Bakery. Uh, this bakery makes the most famous fruitcakes in the world. You can get one uh, today for $36.45, in fact. And they ship them all over the place, 192 countries. And in this little town of Corsicana, Texas, uh, the, the, the bakery, Collins Street Bakery, is one of the major employers. And they had a, a staff accountant there whose name was Sandy Jenkins. And Sandy Jenkins, he pulled off one of the greatest scams in U.S. history. He was a shy man. He was a, a daydreamer. And he was tired of feeling invisible, so he started stealing. And he got a little carried away, to say the least. He started doing this in 2004, and he stole all the way into 2013, and he stole a total of almost $17 million from his employer. See, what he would do is that he would use his credit card, and he'd buy all these luxurious goods. He didn't put his money in the stock market, not, nothing smart. Instead, he wasted his money on depreciating goods, like fur coats, high-end watches, private jet rides, Cars, wine, caviar. And this is just the guy, just a staff accountant. He had a $50,000 a year salary. That's it. His wife, she ran a small catering company out of the kitchen of First Baptist Church, Corsicana. Just normal, run-of-the-mill, middle-class folks. They, they drove a Buick. But not too long after they started stealing, after he started stealing... They would buy 12 luxury cars at a time. So it makes you wonder, how did it take 10 years for those at the bakery to catch him? How did their neighbors not think that something weird is going on with this middle class family who all of a sudden is buying these high end goods? Well, where did all these neighbors think the money was coming from? And as I read through the story, I, I, I thought, gosh, people in Corsicana are awful gullible. But it made me think of the opposite extreme of responding to this kind of thing. And, and it was Publishers Clearinghouse Sweepstakes. I read this article that really went through that usually when they would show up, you know, the Publishers Clearinghouse, those are the people with the big check, Ed McMahon. They show up on your front door, they knock on it, and they give you a million dollars. And the people usually like fall down in joy, just overwhelmed that they got all this free money. But they said, usually that's a fake Usually the first time they show up, no one answers because you don't answer the door when you don't know who's there a lot of times. Sometimes they would, they would slam the door in their face and so they would have to do multiple takes to get the right reaction because they were skeptical that such good news could come to their front doorstep. 
So if the people in Corsicana are too gullible, then those who are receiving free money from the publisher's clearinghouse are a bit too suspicious. But both these stories are reactions to good news. In some ways, you should be suspicious. There really is something to the saying that if something is too good to be true, it probably is. But in other ways, if you live your life skeptical of all good news, then you'll be miserable to be around. And so the person under our consideration today got better news than those who got free money from the publisher's clearinghouse. The person under our consideration today would, her life would change much more than Sandy Jenkins' life did when he started spending $100,000 a month on his lavish lifestyle. This person's name is Mary. She's the mother of Jesus, and she got news that she didn't expect. She was going to give birth to God. So let's read her story, Luke chapter 1. We'll read verses 26 to 38 to get started. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to this angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. So you see right here, I mean, she's greatly troubled when she discovers that she's going to give birth to God. This is just something Mary had accounted for. She, she was planning a wedding when the angel showed up, not decorating a nursery. She was planning on being a wife before she became a mother. And according to the angel, that plan is now out the window. But what are people going to think? Are they going to think she was some floozy? Is her reputation going to be ruined? And you know, Mary sounds like all the other women that we've been looking at the last few weeks, doesn't she? I mean, the last several weeks, we've been looking at the women who are found in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And Mary is the fifth of these women. The first was Tamar. And she practices prostitution to get what was hers. One of Jesus' mothers. Then you've got Rahab, who's a pagan prostitute. Then you've got David who commits adultery with Bathsheba. Then you've got Ruth who lies down with Boaz in his bed after he's asleep and he's buzzed in the middle of the night and then she asks him to marry her. So Mary completes this fivesome of women and there are two things that tie all five of these women together, isn't there? They're all women who have racy reputations. They all play pivotal roles in Jesus' coming. 
See, we've been saying that if we know the kind of people that Jesus came from, we will know the kind of people that Jesus comes to. So what kind of person is Mary? Well, she's someone who struggles to believe the good news. Maybe she thought this was a scam. Wouldn't you? I mean, it's kind of refreshing to see biblical characters struggle like this, isn't it? It reveals to us their humanity. It removes them from the pedestals that we're so apt to put them on. But Mary struggles to believe this tremendously good news that God's going to come in the flesh and he's going to come through her. Now, I hate to break it to you, but you nor I are going to play the same role as Mary. You're not going to be pregnant with God incarnate. But God has come to us just like he came to Mary. See, Christmas tells us that God pays attention to us. Isn't that shocking? I mean, we're used to being forgotten. We're used to getting paid attention to for what people can get from us. What we're not used to is people paying attention to us just because. But that's what Christmas is all about. In fact, Christmas says that Jesus pays attention to us even though we've wronged him. And that's grace upon grace, and it's hard to believe. It sounds like a scam. It sounds too good to be true. And the Christian life is mostly about the struggle to believe that something that seems to be too good to be true actually is true. So is God disappointed that you struggle to believe his good news? Well, look at Mary. I mean, God assures Mary through the angel when he says, do not be afraid, you have found favor with God. See, I would expect the text to say, hey, Mary, since you're afraid, I'm going to go find someone who's not going to be afraid, and I'm going to use her. But that's not what God does. He doesn't do this because God knows that our struggles open us up to hearing from him. Struggling makes us look outside of our own resources to the vastness of God's resources. So when you look at what we just read, verses 26 to 38, you see Mary's struggle. And skip ahead a few verses, you get to 46 to 56, and you see Mary singing the song that Justin just sang moments ago. But those are two different states, aren't they? I mean, you've got the struggling in verses 26 to 38. You've got the singing in verses 46 to 56. So how did she move from struggling to singing? What happened to her in verses 39 to 45? Well, what you see is that she's going to have somebody come alongside her in her struggle. She's not going to struggle alone. Her struggle will not remain something that's just between her and God. She's going to be accompanied by her cousin, Elizabeth. See, verses 39 and 40 say, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. See, God's not going to let Mary and Joseph walk through this hard, peculiar, life-altering nine months of pregnancy alone. Elizabeth's going to be with them. And notice the kind of role that Elizabeth plays as she accompanies Mary. Her role is one that confirms God's work in her. See, verses 41 to 45 say this, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby, the baby leapt in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. See, isn't that what you need when you struggle? You need confirmation that God is not allergic to your doubt and that he is indeed at work. See, when God's people come alongside us to help us see the big picture, we get the assurance that we so desperately need. I mean, look at Elizabeth's words. They're not some string of religious cliches. They're not these generic, vague phrases like everything happens for a reason. Elizabeth doesn't say something like when God closes the door, he opens another. He doesn't say something like God won't give you more than you can handle. See, all those kinds of things are more unhelpful and untrue than they are helpful and true. But what Elizabeth says here is substantive. What she says here is specific. What she says here is related to what Mary is actually going through. She says this. She says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken to her. See, God sends Elizabeth to echo what the angel had already said. Elizabeth doesn't tell her anything new. But what Elizabeth does do is she reinforces something that's already been said to her so that she might believe it more deeply. And that's what we need in struggles. We need to hear what has already been said to us from God's people. So do you have an Elizabeth in your life? Do you tend to walk through your life through the hard things and you do so alone? I do. And I stand in a long line with all humanity who hide when life gets hard. You ask me how I'm doing, I say fine. And all this started with Adam and Eve in the garden. See, part of the condition pre-fall, before sin entered the world, when things were perfect, is that they were naked and unashamed. Now, this is literal. They literally didn't have any clothes on, but that's not what the text is only saying. What the text is saying when it says that they were naked and unashamed, it means that they were free in their relationship with one another. There's a total lack of shame. But all that would change was sin. And I'm sure Mary was tempted to hide from every living soul because she was afraid to be viewed as this floozy for becoming pregnant before she's married. But because she came out of hiding, she got the confirmation from Elizabeth about God's work in her life. She could have stayed at home, but she went to Elizabeth's house. And the confirmation that God gives you will probably look different than it did for Mary. You're nobody's going to tell you, hey, you're pregnant with God. (laughs) But you're going to hear good news. You might hear the good news that God loves you in spite of your sin. You might hear the news that God's going to be faithful to defend you when others are seeking to destroy you. You might hear that God's going to sanctify you in the midst of your suffering. But the means by which God is going to speak these confirming words is going to be through his people. See, the thing that I think is fascinating about this text is that when she doubted, when Mary doubted what the angel had told her first, God didn't send her another angel. God sent her one of his people. And look at how Mary responds to these confirming words spoken to her by Elizabeth. She breaks out into a song, doesn't she? 
She's gone from being skeptical, thinking that this might be a scam, to being overjoyed. And now she's this joyful participant in God's plan for the whole world. She sings this song, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. See, see, put yourself in Mary's shoes for a moment. See, as parents, you, you, you're just hoping that your child becomes someone great. You long for them to be great in accomplishment. You long for them to be great in character. But what was different for Mary is that she knew that her child would be great. It wasn't just a hope. Her son was the Messiah. He was the one who was sent from God. He was the one who was going to make all things sad become untrue. He was going to be the one who would save his people from their sins. He was going to be the one who would be the ruler promised in the line of David. She knew that his kingdom would have no end. That's why she sings the words she does here in 46 to 55. See, what happens in this song is that the news now has sunk in. She went from doubting what she was said, what she was told. She went from being troubled by what she was told by the angel to singing it with boldness. See, God was coming into the world as a human being, and this is what made her sing. And it should make us sing too, friends. Jesus has come into the world. You could never get to him if you wanted to. In your natural state, you're too weak, you're too corrupt, you're too disinterested to get to Jesus. So Jesus would have to come and he would lay aside his glory. He'd lay aside his honor. He'd lay aside his, the claim of heaven that he had enjoyed for all eternity past. And he would enter into a life that was full of pain, a life full of disappointment. And in the end, he would embrace a death, the most horrendous of all deaths. He was whipped. We had nails through his hands and his feet where he was hung on a crucifix. But why would he endure such agony? Why would he do this? Why would he come for you? Why would he come for me? Why would he use someone like Mary? It's because he loved you. This is why he came. He came to purchase your soul with his blood. And this is the good news. I know it sounds like a scam. How could someone love you that much when you have betrayed him so, deep, so severely? I don't know. It's the mystery of mysteries. It's so profound it will leave you speechless. But it will make you sing. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for Mary. Lord, that she shows us that, um, that we can be troubled by such good news. And Lord, I pray that our whole lives, Lord, that we would struggle to believe the news that seems too good to be true and actually is. So, Lord, I pray that we would experience the mystery and the profundity of that at this table. We pray these things in your name. Amen.